You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 64 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Data Platform MVP, Treb Gott. Christian Buckley with another MVP Buzz Chat, and I'm here today with Treb. Treb, how are you doing today? I am doing well today, Christian. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And, and for folks that don't know you, why don't you uh, tell us you know, who you are, where you are, what you do? All right. My name is Treb Gott, and I am a Power BI Data Platform MVP based in the Seattle area. And I also have a company called Marquee Insights. And so our goals basically help you make better decisions with smarter data. So that's going to be one of the things we're going to talk more about today is what are people trying to answer? And with that, I hand it back to you. Yeah. Well, and, and so Treb's one of those people, I've known Treb for, I don't know how many years, almost a decade, some long time uh, there, part of the Puget Sound uh, SharePoint user group and in the community. Um, and, and so, I, you know, Treb, I think we had you in as a presenter a number of times in the user group yep. um, over the years on various topics. And you kind of made your transition from you were originally a project server or pro, MS Project MVP, yeah, and moved For over five was, years actually. Wow, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It, it, time flies when you're having fun, I guess. What we found though is with project, most of the the interest around project wasn't so much in managing the projects; it was in driving the reporting. And you know, realistically, if I can't get re- good reports out of the work I'm doing, the solution doesn't really add a lot of value. And we were starting to see the same thing with SharePoint. We're starting to see the same thing with Teams and all of the other products is that really when it comes down to it, I need visibility into what's going on and is it helping me answer a question that I need to have answered within my own organization? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're not driving the business forward. Well, see, so, interesting. I think just like you, my, so my, my path into collaboration technology was also mm-hmm. through the project and portfolio management solutions yeah. and exactly that it was like it was it wasn't just about it was more about building out like decision support systems mm-hmm. because companies that i worked for and clients when i started consulting said look i i can go and get project updates uh, if i push my people like on friday update the status of projects what i that that's not what i want what i right. want to know is that data reflected against historical project data mm-hmm. what is the likelihood that we'll deliver these on time or right. you know, the average delivery date of a project or a product. Or even, when am I going to have this done? Uh, the, this, the funny thing about all of this was actually one of the biggest use cases for Project Server and Project Online is not project management. It's resource management. Right. Because everybody's trying to answer that same question of when will this get done? When can I schedule it? And I've actually been doing a little uh, playing around. There is this, uh, it's a private beta right now, but even though I can invite people into it, uh, called calendar.help. This is the Cortana scheduling service. And it turns out that when you schedule me to a task in Planner, I kick off a flow that sends something to the Cortana help uh, service, and it puts it on my calendar wherever there's free time. And so at some point, you know, we were trying to model people's times with a schedule. I don't think we're that far away from actually having the machine do it for us. And so the, the role of the project manager is going to change tremendously. Yeah, but that, that's interesting that, because now we're going into kind of a, the other 
part of my history, like was my kind of backed myself into creating a social graph. Right. What we were trying to do was we were trying to, again, in the project portfolio management, we were trying to do a kind of workload optimization for mm -hmm. project-based organizations to understand that doing pattern recognition on, mm -hmm. hey, you're, you, this project you're working on today is a 75% match to this project that was completed a year ago. Mm -hmm. These are the assets, but here's, here's the various resources that were needed. And, and so you can start to see when the system recognizes those patterns, mm -hmm. and realizes that, hey, on average, it takes this long X amount of time to finish that task. Right. Then it can go and do the population because it's not enough just, hey, somebody in planner assigns a task to me. Well, how long is that <laughs> task going to take? To right. Would be the well, main piece there. Well, and that's where I make some base assumptions and, you know, trying to automate this, just like a, a mechanic. They know approximately if it's a low priority task, it'll be X amount of time. If it's medium, it'll be this, this high. And we finally got the priority field this week. I'm so happy about this uh, with planner. I saw the announcement. But we can use that now to say, oh, it's low priority, so make it a half hour or make it 15 minutes. If it's medium, make it an hour. At least then I can determine how much more time I, I need to, to focus on. If it's high priority, make it two hours, and then I can see when I can get to it. But I think this is all part of the, the slow automation of the grunt work. Now, the gap that we're still seeing is, am I working on the right stuff? And this has been the holy grail for years. And we've had several attempts at what we call portfolio management. But again, we're, we're trying to model human behavior that's happening in real time, but we're doing it once a month, once a quarter, once a year. And it, it isn't adding as much value as we would hope. And that's why when we look at, we're looking at, at BI in general, it's about how do we get our hands around this whole thing? And this is bringing up high, uh, much greater questions around what is the data that we're capturing? What are the learnings that we're getting out of that data? And really, what are the actions that we're driving forward with this? And one of the, the challenges that I see a lot of companies that are having is when they're starting off, they're very tactical. Oh, I need a status report or I need this. They're not thinking uh, at a higher level. And Deloitte did a study recently where they said, you know what, we've been doing this now for what, 20 years, trying to get BI out there. And I think the percentage was 63% of people are reverting back to spreadsheets. It's like, we're doing something. We're not, we're missing something here somewhere in all of this. And so we, we have this conversation centric design process that we've rolled out. We have a book that we put out on Amazon to, to help spread the word about it. But at least what we were trying to do was start with the conversations that people are having. We're inherently social. This is everything that we do at work. We, we have meetings, we have, you know, project team get-togethers, we, we get together to solve a problem. Let's at least start with that context and then see what data are we capturing, what data are, do we need to drive these forward. But then as we start to gather these, and this is where a friend of mine, uh, Steve Flynn, has been working. He's got his uh, data to learning to action program that uh, I love it. And it also fits in with, very well with what we're doing where his conjecture is basically, are we having the right conversations? Are we having the right learning? And are we driving the right actions forward? Because realistically, in this new data-centric data centric age that we're in, your last best competitive advantage is being able to learn faster than the other person. And this is really what Amazon does 
for retail. They have learned faster than Walmart. They're beating them to death over it. When you start looking at you know, what other companies are doing, the market leaders in almost every segment are very data-centric. And in fact, uh, one of the things that we'd like to say is, how do you know you're in a data-centric organization? And I say, well, data has a voice because the first question that people will ask in a meeting is, what does the data say? And so that kind of lends that, you know, data has a place at the table, it's part of the conversation, it's front and center. We're not doing management by motion anymore. Oh, it feels like this. And, uh, you know, there, it's one of those things too, there was the story of how the Frappuccino got started. You know, because Starbucks, they sell coffee. We love coffee. God knows that we love it here in, in the Seattle area. But not a lot of coffee gets, you know, sold, I would say, in the early afternoon because you'll be up all night. But it turns out that when you look at who was in the stores at that time, most bus stops are outside of a Starbucks, you know. So your average age would fall into the lower teens, and Starbucks at the time didn't have a product for them. So lo and behold, here's the Frappuccino, and now you have this dead zone for most coffee shops that's being filled by an alternative product based on the data that they were gathering. Yeah. You know, uh, I have another client, uh, they do inspections of hard, these big hard assets, and they do this for power companies, and, they, um, and essentially what we found was the data that they were generating from this activity was actually worth more than the activity it, itself that they were charging for, because they could resell it and help utility companies do better purchase decisions. They could feed it back to the manufacturers and say, given these situations, here's the problems we're seeing. We can help you reduce your, uh, your warranty calls and all this other stuff. And in, these are the types of things that I don't think most people are even beginning to think about, that we, we're just generating data for tactical reasons, but we're sitting on a gold mine. And so this is one of the things that we're, uh, so we're doing these executive retreats now with companies to get their executives up to speed think more broadly, you know, when you say, oh, I need a dashboard, let's talk about the decisions that you're trying to drive. Let's make sure they're the right decisions. Let's talk about the conversations that they're going to integrate with so that we get that adoption. And then let's see if we even have the data. A lot of times we have a lot of wishful thinking. Boy, what this, we're not capturing it. Okay, well, that's a problem. But it's amazing to see the results when all of this stuff aligns because now we're having... Uh, it's almost like that holy grail that we've been looking for with collaboration and BI, you know, project management, we've been nibbling at it, but it's having that same conversation from end to end within the organization. And you know, so it's Tom, a beautiful I, thing. I have to ask though, so I, because one yeah. of the, one of the, um, I, the dangers is that, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I, I agree with all of the points that you made. Um, right. I've also seen specific examples of where organizations will go and try to, you know, watch the data more closely um, mm -hmm. But they almost give up their the, the the management ownership of certain activities. Like, well, the data says this. It's like you know that's you know that's only part of the story around right. what you're seeing. Uh, a prime example is in uh, uh, support operations and mm -hmm. looking at you know number of tickets that are opened, how long it takes to close a ticket, the average number of tickets closed per agent. Um, the amount of time, the meantime, the resolution of the, each of those ticket closures. And it's mm -hmm. easy to go and look at that and say, well, hey, are high performers, low performers based on the volume, the overall throughput? And then you can maybe balance that with uh, you know, your uh, uh, 
the, like the customer satisfaction survey against that. There's a quality factor there. But even then, it may not completely tell the difference. And I mean, I have very specific experience with, with mm-hmm. that issue with a management team that was saying, well, hey, we've got a couple low performing people based on all of those metrics, which largely was true and were valid measurements. What they weren't showing is that these uh, individuals were consistently taking on the worst, the ugliest problems. Mm-hmm. So the mean time resolution went long. The number of tickets solved, resolved went down. Um, oh. They had the unhappiest clients because they took the problem tickets. Right. And, and, and so that's, <laughs> and, and I'm just using that as an example. And I, no, I it's for a, a lot example. of transactional stuff, Mm-hmm. You know, um, so a lot of times, like you, you have to, you can't look at all those data factors as being their, their nirvana for solving all management issues. You can't just right. abdicate the throne over to your dashboard, uh, yeah. but be informed by those things. But I don't know if that that also comes up in your in your. Oh, it, it comes up quite a bit because you have to be careful what you're measuring, and again, you, you have to take it into context as, as to the whole thing. Why? For me, having the persons, instead of reacting, ask the question, why first? Why is this happening? Because that's really where the management value comes into play, is using their experience, using their background, looking at the data, going, okay, we have a situation. Why is this happening? And even we see this in lean. If if you've done a lean journey, you, you have the five whys to get to the root of the question. And the thing is, what appears to be going on may not actually be going on. The other problem you run into is what I call the, the, the too quick to act problem. Because as we're getting into more real-time data, you're not giving people enough time to solve the problem before it becomes your problem. And so you have you know, your directors and VPs getting involved before the managers have even had a, time, had a chance to look at stuff. So these are all the types of issues that we're running into, that we're starting to run into, I, I should say, because, okay, we've now got visibility, but we've got too much visibility, <laughs> you know, and we're also jumping to conclusions too quickly about things before we're really digging into the data. So in my mind, I still think it's better to have the data, it's better to have the visibility, but it's a learning experience. And one of the things that we so totally have to get past is the red. We have to embrace the red. If we have red indicators, if we have variances. That's normal. That's reality. Because realistically, in a lot of cases, we're trying to predict the future. And if I was really good at predicting the future, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be on a beach enjoying a very nice adult beverage right now, enjoying my riches because I would have the stock market corner. Well, I'd also say if you're not seeing red or at least yellows, if it's green all the time, they'd be like, you know, I don't think, is this thing, you know, like click, 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 click. Is this thing on? Yeah. I want to have variance. And and that's the other thing too, is so much of what we do today is, is rear view mirror reporting. And we, we snapshot, okay, this is what last week looked like. We were yellow. Okay. And I need to know, are we yellow trending green, yellow trending red, yellow trending yellow? We don't have this time phased aspect to a lot of our data. We're just capturing snapshots. And while those make nice family vacation uh, albums, they don't really help you run your business very well. And so this is also another thing that we've got to get our heads around is how do we add this time phase 
aspect to our data. And it, it's just taking you know, people a long time. And as you can tell with all this, uh, I think the, the largest challenge we're running into is the fact that most people have had zero training in thinking about this in a data-centric manner. We have people who have hard times making a decent table in Excel, and now we're asking them to use a tool like Power BI. Wow, how do we get there? We have people, I mean, I'm not exactly a spring chicken, uh, but we have people in, you know, in the workforce who've never really had to do more than Excel and sort of learned it as they went along. You know, they were enterprising in, in their, their learning, but this is completely different. So we're actually seeing a lot of companies who are bringing us in. We are doing wholesale training. I mean, training hundreds of people in how to even start thinking about this from a data perspective. What is the stuff we need to be capturing? What decisions, what conversations? And then finally, oh, now we start looking at a report or we start looking at a dashboard. Or better yet, I just want an answer. Uh, Power Q&A, you just type in the question that writes the answer for you. I don't need a report. And so it's a different mentality, but we're, we're, we're taking baby steps to get there. Right, well, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, you know, again, just, just had this conversation with a, with a client this morning and, and uh, you know, part of, uh, part of the problem that we ran into is I said, you know, what we're, it was essentially we, we kind of got to that same point where like, yeah. what are we really trying to understand here about the data? And what we found is that what we're looking for is it's almost kind of a, it's, it's data that's combining from two entirely different systems. It's mm -hmm. not right now we're, we're just kind of doing our, the guesswork in between to match these things up. I say, we need to bring these two data sets together, mm -hmm. to be able to begin to build out that dashboard and to be, get that directional information about how we're performing from mm -hmm. these systems. Uh, it, it's yeah, there's, I think we're, people are really overly reliant on out of the box. Like what's there, what can I go oh. and plug in and do? Mm -hmm. And so much of my, you know, my experience in this space and certainly back from the program project management, you know, portfolio management world mm -hmm. is that what you're looking for, the answers are never out of the box. Uh, <laughs> well. Yeah, well, I, so, some it, are. Well, but, you know, but it well, but the good stuff is. Fifteen years ago, nothing was out of the box. Right, there, right. there was no out of the box. It was very much a you know, had to have a data scientist in, in, involved. But hmm. I, I'm actually happy to see that push that Microsoft went through, saying that hey, for the product team, you know, the 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 marketing organizations, the sales organizations, hiring of data scientists, the people that understood that captured the telemetry around the product. And we're looking at the data around this. And I just thought, and the guidance was from Microsoft, hey, all of you need to be doing something similar. Take that same right. mindset. And well, so that's good. But, but I think, so we, we have quick start uh, products that we sell. But the reason that they're selling is not so much the final reporting. Like we do have built-in reports, like uh, our project management uh, package that we have. We surveyed a bunch of PMO directors and said, look, given unlimited time and money, what is it you absolutely need to run your business? And so it turned out there was about an 85% overlap in, the, in the, this survey. And these were common things like status reports. Good God, we, we waste a lot of time creating status reports over and over again. Uh, they were basic views over the data. But realistically, what they were looking for was a starting point to get to the point where they can start writing their own reports. 
And at least with Power BI, we can create these pre-built data models that have already been tested, they've already been optimized for speed. You're not having to plow the field fresh every time. And what we saw was uh, other bids to do the same work were 18 to 20 weeks of work just to get to the point where you could write a report. We're talking about, you could start doing that this week kind of thing. So there, I think there is an opportunity space there, but this is where the real value starts to be is that you take a package like that, you integrate with your own data, and then you start focusing on those conversations that you want to support. And again, that becomes another discussion point. I can't do it all, and nor do I want to do it all, but I need to pick the most important ones and start working from there because now you start getting into how many different systems do I have to get in place? Are we talking about the same thing, even though we're calling it the same term? Uh, I remember one of the projects we had at, uh, I used to work at Starbucks, that's why I'm saying this. Uh, we wanted to look at product. Well, you also live in Seattle. I think you're legally obligated to yeah, mention it five times. But. But, but you think about it, it's like if you're in the store, a cup of coffee is a product. If you're at Safeway, it's a bag of coffee. And if you're at the Hilton, it's a case of these little K-cup. You know, how do you compare that? And that's fairly common is that we'll have common terminology in the company, but we're not actually talking about the same thing. And we had this recently with a very large healthcare company where what they were defining as projects and efforts and tasks and milestones weren't the same across even this one program. And so we have to go through this uh, Tower of Babel problem and get everybody speaking the same language and then move on from there. So some of the BI stuff is actually forcing these things to happen, which I think is good, yep. but it's taking people, uh, we spent a, right at a year getting to the point where now they can cycle through and, and create stuff, you know, very quickly. But it wasn't, you know, all uh, unicorns and rainbows as the, some of the demos tend to lead you to believe. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of work to get there, but the payoff is massive. So. Well, it's, it, I, you know, it's a, you know, you're right. I mean, having, making those investments and, um, and, and the insights, I mean, look, it's, it's, there's never an end to that. In my right. experience, I mean, it's because when you get that information, you're like, hey, this is fantastic. Mm -hmm. What happens uh, is that your, your then requirements mature. You're like, okay, now that we understand that, we realize that half the questions we we're asking were wrong. Right. We have <laughs> Correct. And then you go on. It's, and this is just part of the, I mean, look, I'm a, a, you know, a fan of, of W. Edwards Deming. It's the- right you know, optimizing the system. There is no end to that because you optimize, you create a new baseline, and then you look at how do we perf you know, perform uh, over and above that. And your, your bottleneck moves at that point too, right. so. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you start, your output increases, the quality increases, and all of that. Okay, then you need to look at, okay, now how do we improve from there? So, uh, you know, there, there is no like the top, hey, we're optimized. We're done. <laughs> well, and that's part of it, but I think that's one of the things that the whole BI movement and BI is the lead into AI where we're automating this to a certain extent is that we are the bottleneck, that we have optimized our processes, but we've not optimized our ability to capture knowledge and how do we learn from that knowledge. And that was really the hope of BI was to at least make the data clearer. When we get into AI, that's where essentially I think what people are missing is that we're trying to reduce the learning curve. There was a product that was released a few months ago. Uh, it's a photography software package that takes the combined experience of 50 professional photographers and embeds it into this AI package. 
you point your camera at the scene, it analyzes it, gives you all the settings. Voila, you have a professional, professional looking uh, photo from this package. You're never going to achieve that level of expertise, but we can now embed that into AI and extend it. And what we were working toward is what is, uh, I've heard the term thrown around, I don't think Microsoft has made it very public yet, is collaborative intelligence. So this is where you augment the capabilities of the human with the machine. And the first instance we're seeing of this is actually in PowerPoint. If you've used the designer that's built in, yeah. oh, I love that thing. Well, imagine, I want that for Word, I want this for Excel, I want this for you know all the mundane stuff that we do just to get the stuff correct. But I can see this being extended even further. When we get to the point where you don't have to go through you know, four or six weeks of training to get to do your job, right. where we can embed you know, at least the most mundane things into the machine, you'll be more effective much more quickly. And so I think there's going to be a lot of, of uh, energy around this in the next probably two to five years. Well, it goes to back to what we were originally talking about was that task, that task automation. Yeah. But the system to go in there and say, hey, well, look, out of planner, this, this task, for it to go and look at and understand, okay, hey, mm-hmm. you know, Treb, this is you, your profile, or, or you, know, you sign something to me. So right. it understands me and the system. My role um, mm-hmm. assigns me the task goes and based on what it has seen from others with my title with this similar task mm-hmm. puts a time estimate around it maybe it also knows that hey christian is more efficient than most and it's uh, he, he's like 10 minutes or 10 percent more optimized than the typical pm and right. maybe adjust based on those factors i mean there's a lot of intelligence you can put in there with the assignment i mean you know look i part of me looks at that future saying not only hey block out the time so i've got my literally my task list of what i need to work on and the system would even recognize that christian needs five minutes in between each of these to kind of reset especially if i'm changing to a different client or to whatever or to another type of task Mm -hmm. i mean all that kind of stuff those buffers and things that it can you know put in there but again maybe i i don't need that it knows that i don't need that it's going to just put task 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 you know, for two, three hours. And then, you know, I, and I just have my list of tickets to go through to solve the, these problems. This is where I'd love to see it like tied to windows where when I contact switch, say between clients or between projects or whatnot, windows would actually give me a different desktop that it generated with all the content there already. So I don't have to go looking for it. Right. And I, I think one of the other things while we're, we're on this topic um, and I was trying to remember which conference this was, uh, I don't remember if it was Ignite or a SharePoint conference, but uh, they were demoing what was coming with SharePoint. And uh, Naomi Moneypenny was doing this uh, demo of machine teaching. And I don't think people really got what that was about. That was the but SharePoint it was, conference. It was SharePoint, May. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's like there's been so many, it just feels like a blur now. Yeah. But if you, if you haven't seen it, I would suggest, you know, having someone, you know, go back and, and watch the video. But this is how I think we're going to be transferring knowledge to the machine in a more efficient way. Because right now, if you've done anything with machine learning, it's, you know, it, 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 in the right context, it works very well. But it's hard to really get it to do some of the things that we as humans can pick up very naturally. And so I think you're going to see more emphasis on this as another way of automating, uh, you know, 
those mundane tasks. And given the economic outlooks that I've been seeing where, you know, we might be in the middle of a recession next year, companies are going to be in that mindset of, you know, if they started now, what things can you invest in to help yourself become more efficient a year from now when you absolutely need to be more efficient? And what we're seeing is we're seeing a huge uptake in RPA, uh, robotic process automation, where again, very mundane processes. If we can have the machine do it, let's, let's do that. We're having a lot of focus on BI, looking for answers to specific questions. And so I think from a company perspective, now is the time to be looking to make those efficiency type investments because you're going to need them, according to all the economists, roughly a year out from now. So, you know, and that's the, that's the feedback we're getting from our clients right now. That's the kind of stuff they're looking for. Exciting. Well, I, I'm not so negative on my outlook of that you know, of, of the uh, uh, the economy, but I but I understand. Uh, I agree with that. The the but that that concept of you know invest in these things because again it's it's not just about hey we're in a downturn let's look at being more efficient with this. But I think ongoing to be competitive, you've got to right. be continually looking at these things anyway. Oh, thing, just for those that are uh, that didn't catch that the so what we're the the keynote we were talking about. So that was actually part of the SharePoint conference in Las Vegas in May 2019. So Naomi was part of that that keynote and it's right. in teaching. Toward the end of it, yeah. But it's also part of the, so it's the SharePoint, uh, uh, the virtual summit that was, it was the same, one of the same, that keynote from that event. Right. You can find that out online and that recording out there. Yeah, well, maybe we can find the link and yeah, I'll get take people a to it. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was fascinating. I, and I guess the thing with the, the economists is, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of a normal business cycle. So it doesn't necessarily mean doom and gloom. It's just, this is the natural ebb and flow that goes on. So sure. I get that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of exciting things going on in BI. I just, I, I want people, if I leave them with anything, it's to realize that business intelligence is not reporting. It's not just that. If all you wind up doing when you adopt Power BI is taking your spreadsheet and putting it on a web page, you're not going to get the value out of that. You're just simply changing the tools. And I see people doing some very honestly bad practices on, oh, well, I can just share the PBIX file in a SharePoint folder because I don't have to pay a license for that. If you do that, you're just simply recreating the problem you had with spreadsheets to begin with, which is anybody can change the data. Or worse, that person you're getting ready to fire, they just backed up the whole library and they walked out the door with it. So there's data leak problems. So you're, you're avoiding a $10 a month problem and creating a $1,000 or $10,000, you know, an instance problem in doing so. And what I like to tell people is, look, if we can't generate $120 of value per person to use this tool set, we're not doing something right. And time after time after time, we have been able to go in, solve usually two, three key problems that are just sucking everybody's time with automating it through something like Power BI, our report server, and proving the value right there. And once people get the hang of this, they get it. It's almost like they get excited, they get addicted, they want more, and then the real fun starts. Then we really start to learn more about your business and how we can make things better. So I love it. I am so it, pumped about this. You know, I had to say again, that, you know, back in the mid-90s where I was kind of introduced to this very expensive, uh, uh, very, uh, you know, limited uh, uh, 
knowledge out in the world was around the decision support systems. Mm -hmm. And it was, and of course, we were just scratching the surface of what we can do, even as a, an individual consumer, you know, uh, and the, the, the price points have come down for the, the oh, tools, goodness. the power, uh, you know, where we, I was going and deploying front end tools to these massive you know, uh, data warehouses, uh, mm -hmm. business objects and the SaaS modules, all these kinds of things. Uh, you know, and I know you've talked about a lot of people. I just did a webinar with John White and uh, had a did a, a you know similar MVP buzz chat with him where we're talking about the democratization of mm -hmm. business intelligence. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about here with with these these systems. It's incredible what we can go in and do, but it does take some education and the time to go in there and understand. And and often is the case we've got fantastic data that we're capturing. But it mm -hmm. may not be everything that we need for the insights uh, uh, that we're trying to get. So to your back to the beginning, it's where I would always start my conversations mm -hmm. back in the 90s as a business analyst and then project manager, which was, what are you trying to accomplish? Technology aside, mm -hmm. what are you trying to comp accomplish? What are you trying to learn from this? And then let's walk me through the process and the logic of the tools that you're using to better understand what you're doing and why you're not getting those answers today. And then let's talk about how we get the answers that you're right. looking for. Yeah, it, it, and it is really the key thing that you have to have an answer. You have to have a question. You can't just be collecting data for the heck of it. And the other, you know, other point of this is it takes time. Think about when you first learned to use a computer or you learned to drive. I think learning to drive may actually be a better analogy here. It isn't like you can go in and take, you know, a two-day class in driving it. Hey, I'm done. No, you have to actually go do it. You have to actually have people. I, I know my son's getting <laughs> wrapped up. His yeah, I'm, I'm making faces in them. <laughs> just do it. Yeah, like, I'm not ready to turn him loose. Clearly, there's people out there, Trev, driving around that have only done maybe two days. I mean, I'm not I, even sure they did. They finished the second those day. People, I know. I, uh, the ones on 90 this morning. Yeah. But yeah. realistically, you're better drivers. I'll put it that way. Um, at least have somebody mentoring them, helping them through this. And that's the thing you really, you know, we, we've done this for clients, but you need to find those mentors. And even if it's just people within your own company who can do that, they, you have to have those leads to be leading the charge. And just, you know, don't expect, you know, to solve world hunger and world peace in six weeks. It's going to take, like I said, with that one client, it took a year and they're still not done. They're, it, it continues on. Because realistically, we're all just IT companies that happen to either provide services or, you know, make a product. Even Starbucks, if you looked at where they are today versus where they were five years ago, they're highly IT-centric. I mean, Kevin Johnson is the head of the company now, and he's ex-Microsoft. That should tell you right there how different the environment is. And over and over again, we're seeing this in a lot of companies. IT is, uh, it's not just a back office operation anymore. It's an enabler of where we take the company from here. Yeah. Oh. Well, Trev, I mean, talking about mentoring, talking about getting help, how can people find out more and get your help? And I know, I mean, you guys do a lot. You, you write a lot. You've got a lot of great content that's out there. So what, how can people find out more about what you do? The easiest way, we have a brand new website I'm very thrilled about. It's at marqueeinsights.com. And it has essentially our what we do is for is offerings for education and mentoring. It has our products and also has the other things that we do. We try not to do everything, you know, so 
doing custom development is one of those things we can help you with, but it's not our forte. Our forte is really working with the organization to decide where do I want to make the investments? Where do I want to drive it forward? How do I want to make the company better? And so look uh, for the executive retreats that are coming up. We're going to have a couple of those in various locations around the U.S. And I think those are going to be of interest to a lot of companies. Uh, so details are still coming to go. Very cool. But so in the meantime, how do people follow you, find out more about you, Treb, the man, the person? So, Twitter, I would say Twitter is the place to be. So uh, it's T-G-A-T-T-E um, on Twitter. And you're going to probably get some random stuff. I do, as part of my trying to help myself become more creative, I'm learning to cook like a real person, not just, you know, through the microwave, actually, you know, making brews and stuff. So, so you'll sometimes get random posts about that and other stuff. But I try to keep it focused mainly on the technology. So, and cool. uh it's good to follow up on that because there's just a wealth of knowledge out there and it's very much a fire hose these days. <laughs> so. it, it is. Well, Trev, Hey, really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk and uh, really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. Well, thanks. It, it was a lot of fun and I hope, I hope it was good for you too. <laughs> <laughs>